So we're in the middle, actually past the middle of our 52 series here at Stapleton Fellowship Church. And um, that means that each week this year, uh, speakers have chosen a different verse from Scripture uh, and went in more depth on that. In the month of August, uh, Jimmy was talking about missions and Ryan's going to Mexico and um, he started off the month uh, recapping all the great things that God's been doing uh, through the people at this church, uh, through missions. And, um, and Tyson followed that up with a, with a message um, on the Great Commission, which is Jesus' commission to us to go out and be his witnesses and to make disciples. And last week we heard from Gary uh, teaching us how to be disciples and um, we're kind of moving into that. We're always on mission here at Stapleton Fellowship Church. Uh, we gather together and we worship on Sundays like this, on Tuesdays. And uh, we're transitioning into a focus on community. And so um, the verse that I'm teaching on today is John 13, verse 34, which is the new commandment that Jesus is giving to love one another. And I think this message is a great bridge between building community and relationship and doing stuff, being on mission for each other. So if we look at the verse, John 13, verse 34, it says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And this commandment affects everybody. Um, it affects those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as well as those who have not yet come in, uh, to faith in him. I mean, at the very basic, just to boil it down, I know this is a lot deeper conversation, but why did the sun come up today? It's a question that's just been on my heart, and it's going to come through a couple times today in this message. But uh, The sun came up today because we have a God who's merciful. And that means that for those who haven't come to faith in, in Jesus Christ, the Son came up today because he's giving us another opportunity to respond to that and to come to faith in him. The other reason the Son came up today is for those who do believe in Jesus Christ. It's so that we could be the light of the world, so that those who do not yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior can see that in us through loving each other. And so the verse says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. I've heard this before. I've heard this before. I came to Christ maybe 12 or 13 years ago, um, so I didn't read my Bible a whole lot before then, but I've heard this. So it's not, it's not necessarily new. It actually shows up um, from Moses in Leviticus. 1,445 years-ish before Christ even was born. Uh, it says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Uh, oh, not, not new. This is Leviticus 19.18. says, um, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Which means that was a commandment as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. Um, this command is not new. But Jesus says it's new. Um, so that begs the question for me, 
what makes it new? What's new about this commandment? And he gives us the answer in um, basically the next breath after he says, love one another. He says, just as I have loved you. So Jesus is what makes this commandment new. And so as we're getting into this, I I wanted to spend some time on who, who is Jesus. That's the first point on your sermon notes. Who is Jesus? I spent some time contemplating this. How do I, how do I, how do I describe who is Jesus and not take two, three hours on, on itself for that? The Apostle Paul makes it a very concise description of who he is, and I think it's pretty complete. So if you'll take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul manages to do this in about three verses. I like to read that for us. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8 says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So Paul basically is saying that, that Jesus was, was both God and human. So he was God incarnate. That's a hard, heavy concept if you really dig into it to, to understand what that really means. Um, I think the best place, I think one of the best illustrations of, of what this is, is actually on the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, um, in the moments before he gave up his spirit. Um, we see in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, I think a really good, accurate, relatable picture of, of Jesus as a human being. Um, and this is, this is at about, I'll read the verse to you. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus, Jesus was fully God, so he never sinned. And this moment, there's a lot going on. Uh, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? At that moment, um, he took on our sin, uh, the sin of the world for all time. He bore it on himself. And so he felt what the effect of sin is on a human being. And he didn't, although he never did sin, this is the first time he had actually experienced that. Um, what sin does to human beings, and it's what makes him uniquely human in this moment, is that sin separates us from God. It keeps, gives us, uh, makes us feel separate from God, and um, it's, not a, it's not a very good, good feeling, and this is the first time he felt it. So there's Jesus displaying his humanness, I think, in full, I can relate to that for sure, that separateness that sin, that sin creates. And so he felt that. Moments later, though, um, he displayed fully who he was in being God. Um, just look a couple verses later in Matthew 27, verses 50 through 54. Then Jesus shouted out, and he released his spirit. 
At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened, and they said, This man truly was the Son of God. So when Jesus gave up his spirit, he set off a series of events, which is really unique. Um, The curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So I think that's the most significant thing that happened here. The earth shook, set off an earthquake, his death made the earth shake. Rocks split open, tombs opened, and people raised from the dead. And the guys, the Roman officer and the soldiers that hung him on that cross, literally nailed him to that cross, came to admission in that moment. Truly, this was the son of man. They've, Roman soldiers, these guys, put a lot of, killed a lot of people this way. And they saw, obviously, something extremely different in this circumstance. Um, so that right there should speak to him being extremely unique and powerful. But the most important of this of events that happened was that the curtain in the temple tore into you from top to bottom. Now, back in, back in those days, the people of God, the Jewish people, uh, would gather together and worship at the temple. And so they'd have, you know, they'd, they'd gather together in a big room, a sanctuary, and in that room was, was an area that was curtained off. Um, and that area that was curtained off is called the Holy of Holies, which is uh, the literal dwelling place, earthly dwelling place of, of God's presence. And the people of that time had sin. They'd carry sin into the temple so they were unclean, so they needed to be separated from God. When Jesus died on the cross, when he gave up his spirit, there was no need for that temple, that curtain anymore because he took away all the sin of the world. And so, so the, the curtain tearing in two represented something really extremely, extremely huge and um, only something that God could accomplish. That's what he did. And so I talked earlier about the, one of the two reasons that God, that the sun came up today. It's because we have such a merciful God that he put himself on a cross to die for us. So that you don't need to pay for your own sins. If he left that up to us as human beings we would be sentenced to eternal damnation. So the reason the sun came up today is a reflection of God's mercy on those who have not yet come to to faith in Jesus Christ. Strictly so that those who do not have faith in Jesus Christ would have a chance at eternal life through belief in him. If you, you don't have faith in him today, I'm begging you to consider starting investigating that. So summing up, who is Jesus? I want to just share a quote with you from uh, N.T. Wright, who's one of the world's leading historians on on who Jesus is, the historical Jesus. He dedicated his life uh, to, to studying him and to writing books about this. And so in referring to Jesus, he says, He was a teacher of the ancient Hebrew scriptures, 
which paints God as a God that's big enough to be the creator of the world and tender enough to care to take care of the young birds when they call on him. God hears the cries of his people when they are in slavery. He's the God of whom the prophet Isaiah says, the Lord will lay down, will lay bare his holy arm, which means that God has rolled up his sleeve to come and sort things out. I think that's exactly what he did on the cross. So what's the significance of the new commandment? That's the next point on your sermon notes. What's the significance of the new commandment, specifically if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Um, If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your eternal salvation is secure. So why didn't he just take you home as soon as you made that decision? The reason the sun came up for you today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is because you're under his authority. And he gave this command so that those who do not know him will see a picture of who he is by observing us loving each other and by experiencing his love through our thinking of others as better than ourselves. This is written in Philippians 2, verse 3. Uh, The Apostle Paul says this, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. So, something I think uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense happens when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. And I've asked this question a lot of myself lately, um, especially if you just kind of see some crazy things happening in the world, and it's less and less easy for Christians every day. Why, Why do believers in Christ have a desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ? I think... The answer to that is what happens when you become a believer, you become indwelled with his Holy Spirit. And when you become indwelled with the Holy Spirit that gave up his divine privileges to to take the humble position of a slave and be born a human being so that he could die a criminal's death on a cross so that we can have eternal life, that's that's the answer for that. It doesn't make a lot of sense. We do face come up against possibility of persecution, people thinking we're weird, all that stuff, but I think it's something you just really can't fight back because that's just who we are now. And so how do we fulfill this new commandment? It's point number three on your sermon notes. How do we fulfill this new commandment? So when we're looking at, um, when I look at this verse, the new commandment, love one another just as I have loved you, um, look around that verse and see if we can find some context to put that in to see what it really means uh, to do this and, and how do we do it, how do we carry it out. We don't have to go far for that. The events that lead up to Jesus giving this command um, are him actually giving us an example of this, and it's when he washes his disciples' feet. In John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, paints this picture of what Jesus meant when he said to love one another. John 13:17 says before the Passover celebration Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. 
So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that's what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And so that's an example of what Jesus meant. I mean, he literally said, this is, I'm give, I did this so that you can have an example of what this means, and then gives the commandment that you need to love each other, love one another, as I have loved you. And I don't think this is a natural, I think, human behavior, response, mindset. Um, so we need, we need to understand how we have the power to love one another just as Jesus did. And so the next point is where does our power come from to fulfill this new commandment? I talked earlier just a minute ago about context. And this verse, is extre- this, verse this commandment, is extremely important. It's written um, in all four of the Gospels and, and several times it shows up, um, definitely in the Gospel of John. So I looked for some different different areas where this is written, where Jesus teaches this, and, and what he did leading up to it, so I can get an understanding of how, how, can, we even, how can we even do this. So in John chap, chapter 15, verse 12, um, Jesus says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And that's pretty close to the great, the, the great commandment. Um, that he wrote in John chapter 13. So it doesn't, you don't have to go too far to, to, to get a little bit more context with this. The things coming up, leading up to John chapter 15, verse 12, are the answer to the question, how do we have, where does our power come from to fulfill this? John chapter 15, verse 9, a couple of verses earlier, he says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. That's, that's the answer, remain in my love. And many other translations, English translations of the Bible, he says, abide in me. Uh, remain in my love, abide in me, um, are very synonymous in what they mean. And so what does it mean to abide in him or to remain in his love? Uh, to abide in him means to trust him 
to meet all of your needs and to be 100% nourished by him in, in everything. As he illustrates leading into that, John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So, I mean, just picture a, a grapevine. I've got a few at my house now, but if you snap one of those branches off, it immediately starts, starts to die. So it's not going to grow. It's not going to produce fruit. It's not, if it's not attached to that vine, there's no life. Um, and so I think that's a good illustration of, of Jesus kind of painting the picture of remain in me so that you can do stuff, so you can produce fruit, so that you can have the power to do what I've commanded you to do. Um, how do we do this? Is, is uh, by remaining in, in prayer, contact, and relationship with him. Read his word. It exposes a lot about him, what he wants, how we do it. Um, be connected with the church body like we're doing here today through community, community groups, through worship. Um, so there's a few ways that, that we can stay or remain in him and to have the power to fulfill the commandments that he's been given him. And so what can I do to obey the new commandment? Um, Jesus is a prime example of how, how to love one another was a pretty simple, basic act. It didn't seem to be super... He kneeled down and washed their stinky feet. So that's kind of, you know, like that's a good example of humbling yourself and getting down and, uh, and just, just doing something just because it's a loving act. Um, so I guess my encouragement is don't think that if you see, a, if you see somebody that could use help or, or love, uh, don't think that what, you, what you're doing isn't big because I think it is, and don't be overwhelmed by the circumstances around, um, around, you know, people. I mean, sometimes, you know, we can look at a situation and say, oh, there's, I'm not going to get myself into that and help. I couldn't even make an impact. So I'd just say get out of our own, own way of that and just simply love each other in the way that you can. Um, I've got an, an illustration of this from a book that was written by a couple pastors here in Denver that just got a real heart for uh, loving their neighbor, loving one another in this particular verse. So I want to share. It's called The Art of Neighboring. It's a great book. It's short. It's really, really easy read, and I think it gives some great insight in this. So anyone can be a good neighbor. And proof of that is an inspiring testimony from an 11-year-old girl named Nicole. A few years ago, Nicole's family made a commitment to reach out to their neighbors across the street. That family consisted of a recently divorced mom and seven foster kids. To say that their life was chaotic would be a massive understatement. As they began to engage this family and learn about the complexity of their household, it began to feel overwhelming. Nicole noticed that two of their elementary-aged kids were struggling, and she mentioned to her mom that she would be willing to help them with their schoolwork a couple times a week. Nicole began tutoring these two kids. She knew she had something to offer, so she simply showed up their house at their house on Tuesdays and Thursdays to help. Not only is she serving these kids in significant ways, she's also serving their mom, who has expressed how grateful she is for the role that Nicole is playing in the lives of these kids. 
This is a beautiful reminder of the power of neighboring and loving one another. If an 11-year-old girl can figure out a way to match up her gifts with the needs of her neighbors, then so can you. And so when Jesus gave this commandment of love one another, just as I have loved you, he didn't say anything about the results that you're supposed to yield from it. Um, he's actually going to be the one that produces the results. And so you just figure out how your gifts match up with a need and just do it. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. You know, I was reading through some of my resources. N.T. Wright comes up again, and I think it sums this message up really succinctly. So I'm going to share, um, I'm going to share a little passage from, from his book, The uh, Original Jesus, as we close out. So Jesus is God with a human face. The face of Jesus of Nazareth, most clearly recognizable as God when he dies on the cross, sharing and bearing the weight of the world's evil and pain. This, moreover, is a God who became human without doing violence to his inner essential nature. The true God is the God of sovereign love, and it's a contradiction in terms to suppose that love will remain uninvolved or detached or impersonal. The true God isn't a vaguely beneficial gas. He wears a human face crowned with thorns. And if we think back through the life of Jesus and through the events that led to his death, we can see Jesus wasn't concerned about a mere set of dogmas or abstract teachings about a remote God. This was a flesh and blood human being, a flame with the love of God, putting that love into practice wherever human beings were in need. This was immediate and vital and deeply personal. 